Hello everybody, welcome back to our podcast. This week's subject is a strange one. The subject itself isn't strange, but the strange thing is that you all know about it, but you don't know you know it. Want to know more? After this little break. Pick yourself up Let a new chapter Anyway, thank you to John, who made this suggestion this week. 
And I do hope that I get to answer some of his queries around it. But if not, maybe he'll get back in touch with me and ask me to elaborate on whatever. So for those who don't know what this is, it's all about the drama triangle. And if you don't know what it is, go look it up. I ain't going to explain it to you. Just kidding. What is it about? Well, it is about how we humans can and will view ourselves in different situations. And we will view ourselves in different situations as either a victim, persecutor or a rescuer. Little history. Stephen somebody or other once described it back in... Actually, I think he was the first one that described it back in... I'm going to say 1960-61, but I'm open to correction on that one. As a dangerous or insidious way we can present ourselves as victims, rescuers or persecutors. Now, let's take a little look at each of these, but I want you to ask yourself a question. Do I use any of these in my life? Let's start with the victim. And believe it or not, we use this one more than we would like to admit. And here are some ways that we can use this when we're in this mode. And I'm going to say we throughout this, um, just because it makes it easier for me to talk about it. Now, remember too that I'm not talking about when we play the victim when we're feeling a bit low on ourselves and we want a bit of attention that's not what I'm talking about I'm talking about somebody who regularly plays the victim or is constantly in victim mode we don't like to take or we refuse to take responsibility for where we're at we can and we do point towards others for the reason we feel this way and of course this is in order to make other people feel guilty and therefore it will perpetuate our feeling of being the victim because now they're giving us what we desire at that moment. Pity, sympathy, basically attention. And the answer to this is to see every opportunity as a moment when we can grow. But when you're in victim mode, you can't see that. Now, we might be frozen in our life. What does that mean? Well, it means that when we play the victim, then we believe that we're at the mercy of those around us and even at the mercy of the environment around us. And we'll certainly not gain any growth from it, especially when we see ourselves as having no control or being powerless. Therefore, my life will stay still to a certain degree. So the answer is to possibly put a few small goals in place so that we can see that we can actually achieve things for ourselves, even if it is only in a small area or a small thing. When we play the victim or we're in that mode, then we hold grudges and we can hold them for years. Think about the last time you played the victim or you wanted attention. How did you get it? If you think about yourself as a victim and then think, why am I this way? It might be because we feel somebody did or said something to us that made us feel that it was against us personally. We then put this grudge into our pocket and we carry it around with us just in case anybody ever tries to make me accountable for something. And I'll bring that memory or that event out to legitimise the hurt that I feel. And I will use it as an excuse in a roundabout way from making any positive changes in my life. Of course, the answer to this is that we must engage in allowing these grudges a way out. We must find a way to release them. We must understand that by letting go of either the perceived or presumed blame, then we are taking our power back and control will be back with me. 
as victims, we will always have a problem with being assertive. It is where we, I suppose, while we're playing the victim, we don't believe that we have any control in our life. So we would struggle to say our needs or desires. We would also normally show repeated behaviour in being submissive or compliant. What's the answer? Well, we have to learn to be more assertive. Now, that doesn't mean aggressive, but it's not easy, especially if you have spent years being the victim or playing the victim or being in that mode of I'm hard done by. We will not understand when enough is enough. As the victim, we will have no sense of limit. We'd really struggle with creating healthy boundaries, both for ourselves and for others. Now, when trying to answer how we can actually change this, we would have to encourage ourselves to hold any boundaries we put in place. So we have to know and accept how much we would accept and how much we would not accept in relationships. That goes for any relationship now. We must also understand and accept that we are responsible for deciding our own boundaries and respecting those boundaries, but also respecting other people's boundaries. And here's my favourite one. We actually can argue a lot when we play the victim. Why? Because we struggle with choosing our battles. For a victim, every battle is a war in action and we feel that we are constantly under attack. So how do you change this? Well, we have to understand and accept that not every negative opinion or criticism is about us and that it says more about the other person than it does about me. And we also have to see that we have a choice on how we respond. Oh, and here's another one. We will constantly compare ourselves to others. See how often you yourself do this for the next week. As a victim, or when we're in victim mode, we will struggle with this in a very negative way. And in order to change it, we have to learn to change our viewpoint or our thought pattern. We must see that everyone has good qualities that we may not have. And we need to be okay with this. Now, don't think for a moment that this is the end of the list. Not at all. As we can also be critical about others, we can think that we're perfect. We can also push people out of our lives. So the list is not just these few that I've mentioned, but it's a starting point. But each of these need to be looked at in a greater depth. But I only have 20 minutes. Well, I could have an hour, but you'd stop listening after 20 minutes. So I would suggest that you take each of these and you look at them. See if you use them in your life. And if you do find that you're constantly in victim mode, maybe you need to start questioning why. So, how's about moving on to the rescuer? What do you like when you play being the rescuer? Do you know when you're actually doing it? Now, let me state first and foremost that it is not a bad thing to help others. In fact, it is really a wonderful thing to do. Having said that, when we need to be the rescuer all the time in everything that we do, that is when it is an issue. Let me explain firstly what a rescuer really is. At its basic level, a rescuer is a person who really loves and wants to help other people. Now, as I say, that's not a bad thing. But we can take on the responsibilities and the burdens and the problems and even the decisions of other people and are never concerned about our own. If that happens, it's an issue. Having said that, when we are the typical rescuer, we will not offer anyone authentic or selfless help because it will be the type of help that encourages the other person to depend on me, the rescuer. Remember that as a rescuer, we need to help others in order to feel needed. 
And if I need to do that, then there's something wrong. If I'm not helping the other person to help themselves or to come to their own conclusions or their own decisions, then there is something wrong. So where does this rescuer role come from? Well, we can actually start developing this usually around our teenage years and sometimes earlier. We might have had parents going through a separation or divorce and we're the ones propping up the parents. Or it might be that a parent is an alcoholic or a drug addict or a parent that has depression or anxiety. Or it might be as simple as one parent or significant adult giving us all the responsibility of decision making when we're too immature for it. And over time, with having to play this rescuing role, we learn that rescuing other means that this is all we need to feel connected to otherwise self-absorbed and self-involved parent or significant adult. As we grow, we learn that the only way to connect with others is to rescue them. So at the same time, we can see how when we are in the mode of the rescuer, then we can also lower our self-esteem, especially if we feel that we haven't saved anyone for a while. Sometimes to avoid this, we can actually engage in relationships that are in constant need of our attention, such as those with addictions or, you know, like alcoholics or drugs or eating disorders or those with mental health issues and so on. And sadly, we can, when we're in this rescuer mode, we can become the enabler for those in the relationship with us because of our constant need to be that rescuer, even if the other person doesn't want to continue with that behaviour or addiction. And here's the thing, even if those with the addiction try to fight their addiction, the rescuer will become very manipulating so that the addict is again becomes more reliant on the rescuer. Here are just some signs that the rescuer can become damaging both to themselves and to others. Number one, our self-esteem is based solely on our rescuing somebody else. If I have to question what my purpose is in life or why I'm on this earth when I'm not trying to save somebody, then my rescuing mode has gone too far and I've lost the connection to the natural positive connection with others. Maybe it's because I've been living my life way too much through other people and not enough through myself. Number two, we feel abandoned or alone. We begin or intensify this rescue mode when we feel others have left us and we feel alone. We can, for example, be left scrambling to find someone to rescue, anybody, so that we can regain a sense of who we are in the world and what makes us feel important or necessary again. Number three, we can put needy people on a pedestal. Now, having said that, remember this will be different between men and women. Why? Because some male rescuers are likely to be drawn towards partners who will come across as helpless, like the, um, do you know the old thing that we used to have, the damsel in distress type? The rescuing male may and probably will become the main provider and caregiver. And they'll do this so much that they actually stop taking care of themselves. Whereas female rescuers will be more likely to take on the nurturing role. As I've already mentioned, we rescuers will probably enter partnerships or relationships with people that need constant rescuing, like those with addictions or sometimes even abusers. People whom we can nurture and take care of, or at least we think we can. But we're also creating the environment in which these destructive behaviours can continue, possibly even for years. Number four, 
when we feel like everything in somebody else's life must be micromanaged. Now, when we're in the mode of the rescuer, we will tend to overly focus on other people's decisions and choices and think that's wrong for them. Or even at times trying to deter them from making what I consider to be the wrong choice. We know that when this happens, that we believe the other person is unable to make their own decisions for their own life. And thus the cycle of reliance on the rescuer gets stronger. And in fact, what we're doing is taking the other person's power and responsibility away from them. Number five, when we manipulate others, especially when they feel distant from us. When we feel other people try to be independent, we, when we're in the rescuer mode, will feel abandoned and will try in every possible conceivable way to reignite our power to get them back on relying on us. That would include using emotional manipulation. So now, what to do to reduce this rescuer mode in ourselves? Well, before, in years gone by, the only way we would have been told to deal with this would be simply to acknowledge it and make a huge effort with our willpower to overcome it and go in the opposite direction. However, with the knowledge that we have now, we know that that's not enough and it's not as simple as that. However, before I go into that, I want you to consider something. Maybe to see a new triangle as such. I came across this recently and I think it might be beneficial to look at it. And it's simply called TED, which stands for the Empowerment Dynamic. Some guy named Wulmerdorf came up with this after doing many, many studies with a very wide range of both organisations and individuals. But to sum it up, I want you to see simply that the victim must become the creator. The rescuer must become the coach and the persecutor must transform or assume the dynamic of the challenger. Now, having said this, it's not as easy as it sounds, but it is possible with courage and imagination. For example, to go from being the victim to the creator, it's going to take a huge stretch to start using the creative side of themselves because the creator must focus on outcomes rather than the problem itself. It would encourage them to see obstacles as challenges and create a space to clarify aims and goals for the future. And so the rescuer must now begin to see their role not as saving somebody but to ask questions intended to help the other person make their own decisions and their own choices that suit their life and not the life of the rescuer. The difference here is that the rescuer, rather than seeing the victim as being broken, they will now begin to see the other person as creative, resourceful and quite capable of making those decisions and those choices in resolving their own problems and not depending on the rescuer for the answer. Now, I'm going to apologise here because I know I'm going to run slightly over time here, but I want to move on to the persecutor or the dreaded boss or the one who is strict and firm and sets boundaries, but only when it suits their end. When we're the persecutor, we blame the victims, we criticise the rescuer, and this is pointed in the direction of both others and at ourselves, just at different times. 
When we're in the role of the persecutor, we have a tendency to deny our own weakness and focus on the weakness of those around us. Part of the behaviours that we use when we're in this role is criticism and contempt. And this can and does include towards ourselves and sometimes more stringently towards ourselves. We can persecute ourselves in a very harsh way. However, the persecutor must try to transition towards becoming the challenger because a challenger role will have clear expectations and can set goals that are positive for all our relationships, including the one with ourselves. Look, the bottom line is this. When we decide to move away from any sort of behaviour, whether it's the victim, the rescuer or the persecutor, we have a real possibility of growth and in the end healing, both for ourselves and for those around us. So here's the thing. How do we actually get to move away from our behaviour, the pattern that's causing a problem, if we're one of the identities on the drama triangle? Well, regardless of which one you identify with, whether it's the victim, the rescuer or the persecutor, and although they're all different, there are common ways to move away. And here are just some possible steps that might help. It's not exclusive. You'll probably find another way of doing it. But these are just the ones I know about. Number one, we have to recognise that we're behaving out of one of these identities in the first place. We have to. If we don't recognise which one we are or which one we're living out of, then we're not going to be able to change it or change the pattern of behaviour. Number two, we have to stop, reflect and take a look at the pros and cons or the gains and losses with respect to how our behaviour influences those around us and ourselves. Number three, we have to have personal boundaries because they will actually help protect me and help me to be positive in my interaction with those around me. So I must be very clear around those boundaries. Number four, we have to ask ourselves, do I need anyone else to validate the position I've put myself in? Five, awareness is everything. And we need to be aware of our own capacity to play these roles. Where is it coming from within ourselves? And that's the next one. Number six, we have to look at our own inner dialogue and maybe consider some of the following points. Have I any aggression? Do I have compassion for others and myself? Am I too much in somebody else's face or life and not enough in my own? How do I influence others and how do I want to influence others? Do I want to allow people their own space to make their own decisions or do I want control? So in conclusion, and to step away from this drama triangle, we need to have compassion, empathy, self-awareness and assertiveness, which again I point out is not aggression. Because if I use empathy, then I'll be less aggressive. If I use self-awareness, I will be less likely to wade into somebody else's life and try to control it. If I use assertiveness, again, not aggression, then I will have more healthy boundaries and be less the victim. So remember, a drama is exactly that, a drama. And when we want to withdraw from any of these roles that we may have been playing for years, 
the other roles will not want you to end them and will tempt you to re-engage with them. Be strong. Don't deny yourself the possibility of being fully human and fully alive, both for yourself and for those around you. Stay well. Stay safe. Namaste. Take it for granted, you know